Welcome to Volume 10 of P.G. Wodehouse's How Right You Are, Jeeves. Chapter 20 This was the first time I had seen Mark Cream today, she having gone off around noon to lunch with some friends in Birmingham, and I would willingly not have seen her now, for something in her manner seemed to suggest that she spelled trouble. She was looking more like Sherlock Holmes than ever. Slap a dressing gown on her and give her a violin and she could have walked straight into Baker Street, no questions asked. Fixing me with a penetrating eye, she said, Oh, there you are, Mr. Worcester. I was looking for you. You wish speech with me? Yes, I wanted to say that now perhaps you'd believe me. I beg your pardon? About that butler. What about him? I'll tell you what about him. I'd sit down if I were you. It's a long story. I sat down, glad to as a matter of fact, for the legs were feeling weak. You remember I told you I mistrusted him from the first? Uh, oh, yes, I. You did, didn't you? I said he had a criminal face. He can't help his face. He can help being a crook and an impostor. Calls himself a butler, does he? The police could shake that story. He's no more a butler than I am. I did my best. But think of those references of his. I am thinking of them. He couldn't have stuck it out as a major domo to a man like Sir Roderick Glossop if he'd been dishonest. He didn't. But Bobby said, I remember very clearly what Miss Wickham said. She told me he had been with Sir Roderick Glossop for years. Well, then. You think that puts him in the clear? Certainly. I don't, and I'll tell you why. Sir Roderick Glossop has a large clinic down in Somersetshire at a place called Shuffnell Regis, and a friend of mine is there. I wrote to her asking her to see Lady Glossop and get all the information she could about a former butler of hers named Swordfish. When I got back from Birmingham just now, I found a letter from her. She says that Lady Glossop told her she'd never employed a butler called Swordfish. Try that one on for size. I continue to do my best. The Worcesters never give up. You don't know Lady Glossop, do you? Of course I don't, or I'd have written to her direct. Charming woman, but a memory like a sieve. The sort who's always losing one glove at the theater. Naturally, she wouldn't remember a butler's name. She probably thought all along it was Fothingray or Binks or something. Very common. That sort of mental lapse. I was up at Oxford with a man called Robinson, and I was trying to think of his name the other day, and the nearest I could get to it was Fosdyke. It only came back to me when I saw in the Times a few days ago that Herbert Robinson, 26, of Grove Street, Ponder's End, had been up at Bosher Street Police Court, charged with having stolen a pair of green and yellow check trousers. Not the same chap, of course, but you get the idea. I've no doubt that one of these fine mornings Lady Glossop will suddenly smack herself in the forehead and cry, Swordfish, of course! And all this time I've been thinking of the honest fellow as Catbird. She sniffed. And if I were to say that I liked the way she sniffed, I would be willfully deceiving my public. It was the sort of sniff that Sherlock Holmes would have sniffed when about to clap the darbies on the chap who had just swiped the Maharaja's ruby. Honest fellow, did you say? Then how do you account for this? I saw Willie just now, and he tells me that a valuable 18th century cow creamer that he bought from Mr. Travers is missing. And where is it, you ask? At this moment, it's tucked away in Swordfish's bedroom, in a drawer under his clean shirts. In stating that the Worcesters never give up, I was in error. These words caught me amidships and took all the fighting spirit out of me, leaving me a spent force. 
Oh, is it, I said. Not good, but the best I could do. Yes, sir, that's where it is. Directly Willie told me the thing had gone, I knew where it had gone, too. I went to this man's swordfish's room and searched it, and there it was. I've already sent for the police. Again, that feeling of having been spiritually knocked base over Apex. I gaped at the woman. You've sent for the police? I have, and they're sending a sergeant. He ought to be here at any second. And shall I tell you something? I'm going to now stand outside Swordfish's door to see that nobody tampers with that evidence. I'm not going to take any chances. I wouldn't want to say anything to suggest that I don't trust you implicitly, Mr. Worcester, but I don't like the way you've been sticking up for this fellow. You've been far too sympathetic with him for my taste. It's just that I think he may have yielded to sudden temptation and all that. Nonsense. He's probably been acting this way all his life. I'll bet he was swiping things as a small boy. Only biscuits. I beg your pardon? Uh, crackers, as you would call them, wouldn't you? He was telling me he occasionally pinched a cracker or two in his salad days. Well, there you are. You start with crackers and you end up with silver jugs. That is life. She said and buzzed off to keep her vigil, leaving me kicking myself because I'd forgotten to say anything about the quality of mercy not being strained. It isn't, as I dare say you know, and a mention of this might have done just the trick. I was still brooding on this oversight and wondering what was to be done when Bobby and Aunt Dahlia came in, looking like a young female and an elderly female who were sitting on top of the world. Roberta tells me she has got up John to withdraw the libel suit. Said Aunt Dahlia. I couldn't be more pleased, but I'm blowed if I can manage how she did it. Oh, I just appeal to his better feelings. Said Bobby, giving me one of those significant glances. I got the message. The ancestor, she was warning me, must never learn that she had achieved her ends by jeopardizing the delivery of the Upjohn speech to the young scholars of Market Snodsbury Grammar School. I told him that the quality of mercy is... What's the matter, Bertie? Nothing, just starting. What do you want to start for? I believe Brinkley Court is open for starting in and about this hour. Is it not the quality of mercy you were saying? Yes, it isn't strain. I believe not. And in case you didn't know, it's twice blessed and becomes the throned monarch better than his crown. I drove over to the Bullen Bush and put this to Upjohn, and he saw my point. So now everything is fine. No, I said in answer to a query from Aunt Dahlia, I have not accidentally swallowed my tonsils. I was merely laughing hackingly. Ironical that the young blister should say that everything is fine, for at this moment disaster stares us in the eyeball. I have a story to relate which I think you will agree falls into the fretful porpentine class, and without further porpolaire, I unship my tail. I had anticipated that it would shake them to their very foundation garments, and it did. Aunt Dahlia reeled like an ant, struck behind the ear with a blunt instrument, and Bobby tottered like a red-haired girl who hadn't known it was loaded. You see the setup, I continued, not wanting to rub it in, but feeling that they should be fully briefed. Glossable returned from his afternoon off to find the awful majesty of the law awaiting him, complete with handcuffs. We can hardly expect him to accept an exemplary sentence without a murmur, so his first move would be to establish his innocence by revealing all. True, he'll say. I did pinch this bawdy cow creamer, but merely because I thought Wilbur had pinched it and it ought to be returned to the store. And he'll go on to explain his position in the house. 
All this, mind you, in front of Mark Cream. So what will ensue? The sergeant removes the guys from his wrists, and Mark Cream asks you if she may use your telephone for a moment, as she wishes to call her husband on long distance. Pop Cream listens attentively to the tales she tells, and when Uncle Tom looks in on him later, he finds him with folded arms and a forbidding scowl. Travers, he says, the deal's off. Off, quivers Uncle Tom. Off, says Cream. Oh, ruddy double F. I don't do business with the guys whose wives bring in loony doctors to observe my son. A short while ago, Mark Cream was urging me to try something on for size. I suggest we do the same for this. Aunt Dahlia had sunk into a chair and was starting to turn purple. Strong emotion always has that effect on her. The only thing left, it seems to me, is to put our trust in a higher power. You're right, said the relative, fanning her brow. Go fetch Jeeves, Roberta. And what you do, Bertie, is get out that car of yours and scour the countryside for Glossop. It may be possible to head him off. Come on, come on. Let's have some service. What are you waiting for? I hadn't exactly been waiting. I'd only been thinking that the Enterprise had more than a touch of looking for a needle in a haystack about it. You can't find loony doctors on their afternoon off just by driving around in a car. You need bloodhounds and handkerchiefs for them to sniff at and all that professional stuff. Still, there it was. Right-ho, I said. Anything to oblige? Chapter 21 And of course, as I had anticipated from the start, the thing was a washout. I stuck it out for about an hour, and then, apprised by a hollow feeling in the midriff that the dinner hour was approaching, laid a course for home. Arriving there, I found Bobby in the drawing room, she had the air of a girl who was waiting for something, and when she told me that the cocktails would be coming along in a moment, I knew what it was. Cocktails, eh? I could do with one, or possibly more, I said. My fruitless quest has taken it out of me. I couldn't find Glossop anywhere. He must be somewhere, of course, but Worcestershire hid its secret well. Oh, Glossop? She said, seeming surprised. Oh, he's been back for ages. She wasn't half as surprised as I was. The calm with which she spoke amazed me. Good Lord, this is the end. What is? This is. Has he been pinched? Of course not. He told them who he was and explained everything. Oh my gosh! What's the matter? Oh, of course, I was forgetting. You didn't know the latest developments. Jeeves solved everything. He did. With a wave of his hand. It was so simple, really. One wondered why we hadn't thought of it ourselves. On his advice, Glossop revealed his identity and said your aunt had got him down here to observe you. I reeled and might have fallen had I not clutched at a photograph on a nearby table of Uncle Tom in a uniform of the East Worcestershire Volunteers. What? No, I said. And of course, it carried immediate conviction with Mrs. Cream. Your aunt explained that she'd been uneasy about you for a long time because you were always doing extraordinary things like sliding down water pipes and keeping 23 cats in your bedroom and all that, and Mrs. Cream recalled the time when she had found you hunting for mice under her son's dressing table, so she quite agreed that it was high time you were under the observation of an experienced eye like Glossop's. She was greatly relieved when Glossop assured her that he was confident of effecting a cure. She said we must all be very, very kind to you, so everything's nice and smooth. It's extraordinary how things turn out for the best, isn't it? 
she said, laughing merrily. Whether I would or would not at this juncture have taken her in an iron grasp and shaken her till she frothed is a point on which I can make no definite pronouncements. The chivalrous spirit of the Worcesters would probably have restrained me, much as I resented that merry laughter. But as it happened, the matter was not put to the test, for at that moment Jeeves arrived, bearing a tray on which were glasses and a substantial shaker filled to the brim with the juice of the juniper berry. Bobby drained her beaker with all possible speed and left us, saying that if she didn't get dressed she'd be late for dinner. And Jeeves and I were alone, like a couple of bimbos in one of those movies where two strong men stand face to face and might is the only law. Well, Jeeves, I said, Sir, Miss Wickham has been telling me all. Ah, yes, sir. The words ah, yes, sir, fall far short of an adequate comment on the situation. A nice, what is it, begins with an I, something. Imbroglio, sir. That's it. A nice imbroglio you've landed me in. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Don't say yes, sir. Thanks to you, I've now been widely publicized as off my rocker. Not widely, sir. Merely to your immediate circle now resident at Brinkley Court. You've held me up at the bar of world opinion as a man who has not got all his marbles. It was not easy to think of an alternative scheme, sir. And let me tell you, I said, and I meant this to sting. It's amazing you got away with it. Sir? There's a flaw in your story that sticks out like a sore thumb. Sir? It's no good standing there saying sir, Jeeves. It's obvious. The cow creamer was in Glossop's bedroom. How did he account for that? On my suggestion, sir, he explained that he had removed it from your room, where he had ascertained that you had hidden it after purloining it from Mr. Cream. I started. What? You mean? I yes, thundered would be the word. You mean that I am now labeled not only as a loony in a general sort of way, but also as a klepto, whatever it is? Merely to your immediate circle, now resident at Brinkley Court, sir. You keep saying that, and you must know it's the purest applesauce. You don't really think that the creams will maintain a tactful reserve. They'll dine it out for years, return to America, they'll spread the story from the rock-bound coasts of Maine to the Everglades of Florida, with the result that when I go over there again, keen looks will be shot at me at every house I go into, and spoons counted before I leave. And do you realize that in a few shakes, I've got to show up at dinner and have Mark Cream being very, very kind to me? It hurts the pride of the Worcesters, Jeeves. My advice, sir, would be to fortify yourself for the ordeal. How? There are always cocktails, sir. Should I pour you another? You should. And we must remember what the poet Longfellow said, sir. And what was that? Something attempted, something done, has earned a night's repose. You have the satisfaction of having sacrificed yourself in the interests of Mr. Travers. He had found a talking point. He had reminded me of those postal orders, sometimes for as much as ten bob, which Uncle Tom had sent to me in the Malvin House days. I softened. Whether or not a tear rose to my eye, I cannot say, but it may be taken as official that I softened. How right you are, Jeeves, I said. The End This is your narrator, Jim Campanella. We hope that you've enjoyed this Uvula audio presentation of How Right You Are, Jeeves by P.G. Wodehouse. Performance copyright 2009 by Uvula Audio. All rights reserved. The Jeeves theme was written by BBC composer Nigel Hess and has been repurposed for this show 
Hess also wrote the themes for the BBC shows Ballykiss Angel, Hetty Winthrop Investigates, and May Gray. Please feel free to write us and tell us what you think at uvulaaudio at uvulaaudio.com. You can join fans on MySpace or on our new Facebook page. Just do a search on Facebook for Uvula Audio to become a fan. We are listed on Podcast Alley, as you may know. As you may not know, the adult and children's bookcasts are now listed on iTunes. It took us a while, but yes, now we are part of the biggest list of podcasts in the world. Just do a search on iTunes if you want to find us, and we will pop right up. As usual, check out our Cafe Press website for t-shirts, etc. For other Uvula Audio titles, please go to our website at www.uvulaaudio.com. If you like our podcast, please feel free to tip us whatever amount you may like using the PayPal tip jar link. All money will go toward maintaining the podcast in the future. Our next podcast will be back on the kids' podcast stream in a couple of weeks. We will be presenting the young adult SF novel from 1952, Rip Foster Rides the Great Planet by Harold Goodwin, a.k.a. Blake Savage on the book cover. You may remember that Goodwin was also the author of Divers Down. We will follow that SF novel on the adult podcast with The Seven Story Mountain, which is the autobiography of Thomas Merton. That is a bit of a departure for us, but the book reads like a modern version of St. Augustine's Confessions and is a fascinating look into one man's faith journey. We think you'll enjoy it. From all of us at Uvila Audio, we thank you.